1: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days, you can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday, designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution and it is an absolute treat to be here today. We have with us Dr. Patrick Gentempo. Patrick, how are you, brother?
3: I'm doing fantastic. How about you?
1: Yeah, man, I'm doing great. An absolute pleasure and doing better for having you here today. Thank you. (laughs) All righty. So for those tuning in to Patrick for the first time, Get ready, sit down, grab a cuppa, or if you're driving, don't, like, hopefully you're already sitting down. <laughs> don't go grab that cuppa. Stay focused on the road. So, Patrick is a serial entrepreneur who has founded and led multiple million dollar companies, right? Early in his career, he was practicing as a Cairo. He developed uh, diagnostic technologies for which he received multiple patents with decades of experience, having founded and co founded over 15 businesses. Man, ranging from all things like diagnostics all the way through to something like filmmaking, right? So he has a specialized skill, which is what we're going to talk about today, in the practical application of philosophy. Now, he applies that to business. He's been published by Forbes, has testified in front of Congress on the use of technology in healthcare. He's given testimony to the White House Commission on complementary and alternative medicines, and he's received numerous business and healthcare awards. Dude, there is so many places we could go with this particular podcast, but the key place I want to start, and I just want to dive in, put on the rubber gloves and just go there with you. Mm. Practical versus theoretical philosophy and living a philosophical approach to life. Um, For those tuning in, this was totally and wholly inspired by Patrick. This epic TED talk, please go check it out. I'll put it actually, I'll put it in the show notes for you guys to go check it out. And It was one of those times where I listened to a TED talk and it was just like every few sentences, was like, yes, 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 yes. And I was just getting more and more into it. I was like, yes, this is speaking to my soul. And the crux in there was, you know, there's theoretical philosophies, but then there's practical philosophies. And I should probably shut up and let you do some talking on that.
3: Well, first of all, let me just say thanks for having me. Secondly, yeah, uh, thank you for your smile. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it, uh, it's, inspiring and contagious, so that, that makes it uh, all fun, so thanks for that. Um,
1: <laughs> Thank you.
3: Yeah, so philosophy, so I'm, and, I, and that's why people, like, I'm introduced very often as a philosopher, and, and I am, but I'm a practical philosopher, not an academic philosopher, and they are very different things. So uh, do I have um, some knowledge of kind of the history and systems of philosophy, and, you know, do I understand, you know, Kant and Plato and Aristotle and so on? Yeah, but not like, you know, PhD philosopher would, would have in mm-hmm. an academic setting. Uh, I visited those realms um, because I find it intellectually stimulating. But, uh, but mm-hmm. what I'm really interested in is how philosophy can become a tool for success in life. And that's the mm-hmm. practical application of philosophy. Um, and, it, and it's a very different thing. And it's a very different experience. So I, I start out by saying typically that everybody has a philosophy. Anybody, you who are listening to this right now, you have a philosophy uh so you have no choice about that fact uh, the only choice you have uh to kind of paraphrase ayn rand the philosopher is that is whether or not you defined it in a conscious rational and disciplined way or let it accumulate like a junk heap in your subconscious and and most people uh you know are walking around that way and it, this isn't i'm not trying to uh, degrade you know people in general uh, as far as saying you know that if they haven't done work in, in the practical application of philosophy that they're you know they're, um, there's some kind of an ethical judgment around that there's not what i am saying though is that many people are find themselves in positions of um, being self-defeating uh exasperation um cyclic uh cycles of destruction where they you start to make progress and then they kind of self-immolate or self-destruct And um, and they can't understand why. And they may many times will ascribe these challenges to something that could be that might be more mystical in their own mind, uh, like, you know, Mm. luck, you know, uh, know, things of that nature, or you're being born under a bad sign or whatever it might be. And uh, but the reality is that I I think it's something uh, much more tangible than that and something that, you know, that is uh, fixable. So um, what got me started on this path, and I think this, this one philosophical premise sent me on my way uh, of, of practicality or the applied mm-hmm. practicality of philosophy was from Ayn Rand. Um, and I think maybe you probably know who Ayn Rand is. She wrote the book Atlas Shrugged, uh, which she's probably best known for, The Fountainhead. But she's got a lot of nonfiction work and a lot of lectures and other things that I studied. And, uh, and her intellectual um, heir was Nathaniel Brandon, who was my mentor. So that but I sought him out because of who he was and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and my work in this realm. But what Rand said is that when you have contradictions in your basic philosophical premises, the only possible result is destruction and the amount of destruction is relative to the level of that contradiction. So mm-hmm. I, 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 that struck me immediately as truth when I heard mm-hmm. it the first time. and I started, mm-hmm. and I started And the practicality of it was glaringly obvious to me because I said, so that means if I can identify contradictions in my life and solve mm. them, I'm going to mm. evolve. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, it turned out to be true. <laughs> so every time I started to You know, utilize philosophy as a tool and identify where I might have had contradictions in my values and my metaphysical premises and my the the, uh, branch of philosophy known as epistemology, my theory of knowledge. You know, how do I know things? Mm -hmm. Um, As I can start Mm -hmm. to examine that and I can see conflict or contradiction in those realms. If I can resolve those contradictions, then I can evolve to the next level. And um, so. I started doing that on a personal level effectively. And then with my entrepreneurial efforts, uh, I started to apply that to business and found that in business, it was, uh, it was staggering what the application philosophy could do there.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the things I want to drop in around is, can you unpack a little bit like the contradictions and the destruction piece there? Because I think it's, um, it's, yeah, yeah, I can tell how, like, how much you've shared this before because it's really tight the way you've described it. But I think that's a whole rabbit hole there. Can you describe like potentially what um, some of the contradictions look like and then potentially how that leads to destruction?
3: Sure. So, so for example, um, let me just say this. Nobody is contradiction-free.
1: <laughs> the, damn it yeah, exactly. I was hoping by the end of this episode yeah, i mean
3: the, the, you know the, that would be the perfect human and, uh, and you know, there's maybe maybe in, in mm-hmm. religious uh, circles they can ascribe that to specific historical characters but 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 in in general you know us us mere mortals uh there's no such thing as as anybody who's again this is my lens that i look through there's no such thing as anybody that's 100% contradiction free so
1: oh, can I just take a quick, sorry, just take a quick punch at, uh, at that in there. There's a book that I've got here. It's called The Difficulty of Being Good. And it actually is dedicated to the Mahabharata, which is an old Indian sacred text. And it's like talks about all the avatars in the story. And these are stories of the gods mm. and the gods. The difficulty of being good is that each person has a boon. Each avatar has a boon, but with that boon comes a certain curse. Mm. Right, because if you're all focused towards one direction, then there's going to be certain things that are left like wanting. Let's just call it that. Um, and so I hear what you're saying in terms of like even in the dark design of the gods, you know, and the interplay between each other. It's like this beautiful story where everybody's trying to do good, but with a different intention. And it's like, yeah, there's there's those certain bits. So we're not all perfect.
3: Yeah, and, and I love the fact that that you uh, raise that in the context of this particular conversation because. Um, I I think being contradiction-free 100%, you would be boring or, you know, or Mm -hmm. as the old saying might go, you know, uh, once you're ripe, you start to rot. So (laughs) it's good to say that there's always something to aspire to. There's always some new thing to learn, some new thing to experience, and we can keep going to higher levels of that. And the idea of saying, okay, well, uh, you know, that's over would be sort of a, I think, a a sad uh, experience. So, uh, so, Mm -hmm. so, and then, and why that's important is that we shouldn't self-deprecate because we, you know, we have contradictions. It's like Mm -hmm. saying, okay, no, I am somebody now who wants to live consciously, mindfully Mm -hmm. in a way that can allow me to observe myself, to clarify certain things about me. And as a consequence, I can learn and grow and become a better version of me as I identify and resolve contradictions. And on a systemic level with, you know, let's say a business where you have uh, multiple people at work in a business, to me, the whole idea of a business in in giving it a soul is giving it its philosophy, which means knowing Mm. its values knowing its its purpose, understanding its vision, getting those things clarified, not as like a weekend exercise that gets thrown in the drawer when you're done, but literally becomes the heartbeat and the soul of the business. And when you are operating in alignment with with those values, when the business is and everybody in it is, then magic happens, extraordinary things happen. And when there's contradictions between the way the business operates versus what its values are, that's when you have destruction and business starts to fail. So, um, so it is, uh, but it's, and there's always things to work out, always higher level evolution. So just maybe some examples, um, you know, I've done a lot of work because I'm a chiropractor and and I I spent a lot of years running, you know, fairly large scale businesses within the chiropractic profession um, where we had diagnostic technologies and training and business training and so on. So some of the examples that can come from that, that I, I think are obvious to anybody is um i would have chiropractors who would say they have a practice that i'd say what are your values what's the purpose of the practice we want to do lifetime family wellness care what tell me your philosophical premises what's your view of reality well the body is self-healing and self-regulating in in its nature the nervous system is the master system and controller of that body so those are two what we would call axioms philosophically metaphysical views that are pretty much self-evident and uh so it would stand the reason That if we and now we're going to that branch I call epistemology, uh, theory of knowledge, which would be deduction. So we say if the body is self-healing and self-regulating, which it is, and if the nervous system is the master system and controller of that body, which it is, then would stand the reason deductively that if you interfere with nervous system function, you must necessarily interfere with the ability for the body to heal and regulate. So if that's the position you hold. And you say, okay, so now given that that's my view of reality philosophically, then what's the purpose of this practice? What would it value? And then you start to say, well, it would value being able to assess the nervous system to find interference, to adjust these things. In chiropractic, we talk about this thing called subluxation which is literally a distortion in the patterns of the spine that Mm. interfere with the function of the nervous system. And therefore there's less expression of life and less ability to heal and all that kind of stuff. So what do we wanna do? We wanna identify those subluxations and we wanna remove them. And then by Mm -hmm. doing so, the person can heal, regulate and have more life expression. So that's a view, that's one philosophical Mm -hmm. view. A lot of people might disagree with it, but let's say that that's the view that a particular chiropractor has. Now you can match this to mm-hmm. any business. They have premises about a view of reality. Therefore, it <laughs> translates into the values that the business will have. And then that leads to their purpose, which are the actions that they take on those values and premises. And what happens, <laughs> many people start with, with purpose, but purpose emerges uh, from that third branch of philosophy, which is ethics. You have to start before that and lead to that purpose. Um, so, so my point here though, Is that this particular chiropractor, I'm using as an example, did all that thinking, developed all that philosophy, came out with their purpose, which was a vitalistic thing in nature to address subluxation. Because the other version of chiropractic is back and neck pain, meaning all we do is look to manipulate particular painful areas of the spine for the purposes of, I use the term, uh, ameliorate symptoms, reduce symptoms. Um, Symptom relief. Yes, relief. And that's fine. And and I'm not, and if that's your philosophical view and you built to that and that's the purpose of the practice, I'm not morally judging it one way or the other. But this chiropractor who had the version that I spoke about first mm. comes to me at, and I'm at a conference. I just got done speaking and they're like, you know, I'm frustrated. My practice is stuck. It doesn't grow. I can't get past a certain mm. point and I don't understand why. I understand everything you just lectured on. And it's the way that I see it and, you know, the way that I feel about it. And then he said, well, you know, I'm kind of busy. Hand me a card and maybe we can follow up and have a conversation. And the person hands me a card and it says XYZ back and neck pain center.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role.
3: And now I looked at the card and I looked at them and I said, wait a minute, you're calling your practice back in neck pain center. And they were like, yeah. And I said, do you see how that's a complete contradiction to your entire philosophy? You just told me the way that you go to market with your brand is in contradiction to your values and your purpose in the practice. That's why you're stuck. Get these two things aligned and you will evolve to the next level of the practice. And then you'll start to see a breakthrough happen, et cetera, which is exactly what happens. And I've literally helped thousands of chiropractors move through that type of a process as well as other businesses. So, so you know, to give you, you, know, you know, an example, that's that's just one example of a glaring contradiction where somebody mm. is behaving in their life in contradiction to what their values and beliefs are.
1: Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate that. And that <laughs> pardon me that um that probably ties into some of the you wrote a book called the, your brand is your stand or your stand is your brand no, your, your right? brand yeah, yeah your second. stand
3: is your brand exactly
1: yeah i gotta write the second time around my part of me and we'll put a link to that in the show notes too for those that want to check it out and is that what i'm hearing in there as well which is basically what you're standing for right. make that everything that is you know integrity through the way out and i, I I find it really remarkable. I feel like with the age that we live in, with the digital age as well, I think, you know, oftentimes, I think there was a different time way back when, potentially when we would be able to buy into a product without really understanding the values and the ethics of the founder or the CEO. But I think with the transparency that the internet has now afforded us, we're going down this path where it's like Elon Musk could create, you know, he created a flamethrower. Now if someone else created a flamethrower, I'd be like, what is going on here? Like, I don't know if that's safe, but he creates a flamethrower. I'm like, that's cool. Why? (laughs) Because Tesla's cool. Why is that? Because creating a vertical trucking company to Mars is cool. So I feel like, like, you know, in this day and age, we're buying into the philosophies and the values of the the, the the leaders that are there potentially so that we can actually follow into whatever that then they, you know, subsequently go and create because we understand the person behind it. And potentially that has come from, you know, I'm just, skeptical here. So pardon me if this is incorrect, but I believe it's got to do with, you know, probably having had corrupt companies in the past where now with the transparency the internet affords us, it's like, well, I would like to connect and understand what is going through in terms of that alignment with this company all the way from the top down. Um, I find it quite remarkable. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your stand because also Like you can stand for so many different things. I find that as being one of the biggest challenges in the Inspired Evolution. I'm passionate about clean waterways. I'm passionate about reforestation. I'm passionate about people's mental health. But it's like, how do you find your stand, you know, and make that your brand, yeah. So
3: first thing relative to that is that I believe that a um, a premise, a philosophical premise that many people and businesses adopt, erroneously adopt is that mm. there's um, they find a contradiction between the moral and the practical, mm. and so and and basically, if you are um, saying, well, this is the moral thing to go, do, but from a business perspective, it's impractical.
1: Mm.
3: So if you find that you have a contradiction between the moral and the practical, for example, saying, well, we understand our care about the environment, but deforestation, uh, you know yes, morally, we agree with it, but it's not practical for us to be able to run our business and have that as a consideration for the way our business needs to operate. They, then now the person sitting in that position would say, well, then you have a contradiction between the moral and the, and the practical. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'll explain where the implications of that in a moment. Or somebody who basically, let's say that you're an, a restaurant owner and you're the chef owner of a restaurant and um, you're... Um, uh, you know, you have a strong position about uh, corporate, uh, you know, farmed animals, and you mm. see the, the horrific implications of um, you know of cows and pigs, you know, that are you know uh, raised in this sort of confined corporate way mass produce, etc and the impact for you know let's talk you know the animals is one thing and then of course the impact on the environment all these things have trickle down effects though mm-hmm. so it might not mean that you're a vegetarian necessarily because you might say hey you know pet <clears throat> local farmers who do grass-fed blah, blah blah so i'm not trying to make an argument for you know vegetarianism versus you know meat eaters etc but what i am saying is that you might say that but you'd say geez but my restaurant i have to I have to buy the supply of meat from those types of places Mm. and serve it. Mm -hmm. And you might think that, you know, morally, I agree that this is a bad thing, but practically this is the way for my restaurant to function. When you have a contradiction between the moral and the practical, basically you have two choices. You can either be practical, but immoral, or Mm. moral, but impractical, which one of those Mm -hmm. would you like to choose? Obviously, the answer is neither. I mean, you're basically saying you can be a liar or a sucker, which would you prefer to be? <laughs> <laughs> and so none of those are a, an appropriate state of affairs. So, so when you're taking a stand, what you're saying is, I understand what my values are. Mm. And that's a whole exercise in itself to clarify your values and make sure you don't have contradictions in those. And you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a process that's very, very important for a human being as an individual and for every single business that's out there. But now once you have those values, you can't start to think in terms of, well, it's, you know, uh, I forget the value. I'm going to violate it because this is a very practical thing to do. Um, Another way to sort of say this, and this is uh, whenever I've had one, like the toughest times in businesses, whenever I've had businesses fail and, you know, yes, I've started a lot of businesses. They don't all work. And I've mm-hmm. I've uh, done extremely well in, in many businesses and built them to scale and have been able to exit them and I've also had you know failures where you know I've lost millions of dollars of my own money in the business you know that's that's a part of the game you know my friend Rick Sapio calls it tuition but um mm-hmm. but the uh, the bottom line is I can I can say pretty clearly upon reflection that the times when things went bad for me is when I took opportunity over values so one mm-hmm. one of my Premises, uh, you know, that I live by and stay very consciously aware of is never take opportunities over values. I don't care how good an opportunity it is. If you if it is conflicting with your values, it's not a good opportunity for you, it will never be sustainable, Mm. it will never it will never be something that will work out spiritually or financially.
1: So, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not oh, sorry to no, no, interrupt, no, it's like, it's, right not, it's yeah. not actually it's not actually poisonous, but it's poisonous for you. <laughs> right. right. Because it's yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's amoral until it has a reference point. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 Please. So yeah. so mm-hmm.
3: so having said that, um, an example I can give of this. Mm. is uh and this is this is a restaurant i write a lot about in my book um because uh, yeah i write about brand purity in one of the chapter i talk about philosophy its branches how to create values all the things we're talking about mm. but then uh i taught that what probably one of my favorite chapters is called finding your miles davis and mm. and you know what this is about is saying okay what's the purest form of you really digging deep because I, what i believe is that there's this you know there's you call it a soul call it a pure form there's and there's a lot of noise around what words you use but just say that there's a pure unadulterated version of you right Mm -hmm. and and i don't you know in philosophy they talk about are you born innately with certain characteristics or are you tabula rasa which would be the blank slate and I, I used to think in terms of tabula rasa, but I, I, I'm too old now to think that way anymore. I know that there, and I've got kids, so I believe that <laughs> there there is innate. Um, there's an innate identity called you, and um, and what happens to our lives is that we have things that happen, things we learn from our mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, things that have happened to us, bad things that we've done, and this starts to create energetic fields of distortion between that what's inside of you. And then as you start to express from there, it gets distorted through these experiences. And then what actually comes out into the world is something that's a distorted representation of who you are. So so I think a really good exercise is to try to go back and figure out what is that pure state of me and, and understand who that person is by identity, and identity is a whole, I'm writing a whole book on that now, it's a very concrete. Yeah, it's a <laughs> great topic, yeah. 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 And, and then secondly, um, how can I identify and then perfectly express that and not allow it to get distorted out into the world? And mm-hmm. um, so I call that finding your Miles Davis, because what was Miles Davis known yeah. for whatever was in his soul was what came out of that trumpet (laughs) you know (laughs) it was completely he was the purest musician that expressed himself Mm. completely so um Mm. i write a, 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 a in the finding miles davis chapter i talk about a restaurant called um 11 madison park and for the foodies out there who understand michelin stars and i'm a foodie and i collect wine and all that kind of stuff so um, uh, so when you uh, a Michelin star restaurant is an extraordinary thing. So there's three stars in the Michelin mm. system. One star is a f- amazing restaurant. Very few restaurants mm. get a Michelin star. Two stars. Mm. Now you're in like rarefied unicorn air- status. <laughs> and then there's just a small amount of three star restaurants. You know, in the whole world, I think there's roughly a hundred or less. So it, well, you know, there's, it, it is rarefied. And you know, New York City, 20,000 eating establishments. I think they have seven you know, Michelin three-star restaurants or so. And one of right. them, it was called Levin Madison Park. Now, Levin Madison Park was a Michelin two-star restaurant for, for a lot of years. And the whole Finding Your Miles Davis story comes from their journey to finally getting their third Michelin star. So I don't want to take up the mm-hmm. whole podcast talking about that. But what I will mm-hmm. say, this is an interesting thing, because there's, there's the second step because they got their third Michelin star and they did it through finding their Miles Davis. And I lay out how that happened. Great story. The last chapter of the book is called creative destruction. And what it's all Mm -hmm. about is saying, okay, now that you've figured out how to build this life and build this whole business, let's talk about how to burn it all down (laughs) and start over again. And and why that's important. It's the Phoenix. You have Mm -hmm. to be willing to dive into the flames. So something more beautiful can emerge. If you stay stuck, entropy takes over. The second law of thermodynamics, you start to see disorganization, disassociation, disintegration degrades over time slowly. And uh, mm-hmm. what was interesting about 11 Madison Park is that they got their third Michelin star. Then a few years later, what happened when they, they not only had a, their Michelin three star restaurant, they got voted the number one restaurant in the entire world number one so they were the best of the michelin three stars what did the chef owner decide to do when they got that shut the whole thing down for four months gutted it to the core and reinvented the whole thing again that's creative destruction now there's a reason why i'm telling the story as you'll see in a second because to me it's mind-blowing something just happened relative to this so this was and to give you just and i think this is an inspiring example he took all the metal in the kitchen pots, pans, you know, everything that was metal, the stoves, had it all cut down, melted, and then turned it into a step. So when you step into the restaurant, you're stepping over the past and into the future. Into the um, and when he was interviewed about this, he said, the guy said, why, if you, not only are Michelin 3, so you're the number one restaurant in the world, you get voted for, for I think 2017 or 18, what it was, You could write, you could double your prices. You'll have a waiting list for a year (laughs) and you can write that for 10 years without having to do a a damn thing.
1: A damn thing.
3: And and when I saw this interview, I saw the freest man in the world being unattached. Because think about when you're trying to cling on now to the number one spot, Mm. he's attached. And he just said, um, basically his own philosophy is, okay, we did that. Now it's time for something new. And I just saw the freest human being in the world who created Mm. the best success that he could possibly do. And he was unattached to it and now said, let's burn it all down and let the Phoenix rise. So Mm. they reopened and I had gone to the restaurant uh, since they had reopened. One of the documentaries I made was a wine documentary and I I interviewed their, um, their sommelier. And uh, you know, so then I went into the restaurant my wife and I, and we had this fantastic uh, meal experience there. Mm. Now what do I find out? He closes down the restaurant again, and guess what he does? He reopens it as a vegan restaurant. Now, I am astounded, impressed, and in his interview, why did he, why do you take the number one restaurant in the world? You get your Michelin three stars, you know, your number one restaurant in the world, you shut it down, then you open up something which was even better, spectacular, Mm. and now you take that and you shut it down, and he said, basically looking at what's going on with the environment and the impact that meat eating is having on the environment. He said, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I'm now gonna make mm-hmm. you know, vegan as beautiful and sexy like nobody's ever seen it before. Mm-hmm. Is, his, is he how his values now? If I were a practical person and I'd be looking at him and I, let's say I'm an investor in that restaurant and I'm a shareholder, I'd be maybe grabbing him by the throat saying, hey, <laughs> dude, I put a bunch of money into this business. <laughs> I, you know, I understand your positions, but put that aside. You can be, you see what I'm saying? This guy, uh-huh. his values are his values. He recognizes contradictions. He resolves those contradictions and continues to thrive by taking a stand every time he recognizes it. And I will guarantee you without knowing, because this is a very recent event, that that mm-hmm. restaurant is going to be, Waiting list, explosive, financially successful. Mm. Because somebody like that that takes a stand, everybody's showing up. I'll I'll give you one more example about your stand as your brand. Because here's the thing: is that middle of the road doesn't work, especially today. Unfortunately, we're in an extraordinarily polarized world, and Mm. and people, you know, taking, you know, not taking stands end up sort of irrelevant. Businesses end up irrelevant and i'm not telling you what the standard of the business would be but i will say that when you're doing it for effect meaning you're um you know your your virtue signaling but you don't really believe it mm-hmm. that's not going to work that's not that that's a contradiction so mm-hmm. but i could tell you there it, it, for example there's um in my, back in new jersey i just heard a story a few days ago um so there's a guy who owns a coffee house it happens to be a really good coffee house um he came from here from another country He's an immigrant, You know, living the American dream in essence, you know, built this business seven days a week, worked real hard, et cetera. Well, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he decided he's done with masking. Now, and I'm not here to advocate one way or the other. This is not a political statement. I'm just giving you a story of a stand.
1: Well, and people might yes, disagree
3: with the stand and that's the whole point. Mm. He decides I'm done with this. He says, I'm not wearing a mask anymore. My employees aren't wearing a mask anymore. now depending on where you live, um, I'm in Utah, nobody's wearing it, you don't have to here. But in New Jersey, they still had the laws there, but he decided that he's taken a stand, he's had enough. Um, health department shows up. You have to wear your mask, we'll shut you down, we'll do this, with, go ahead, shut me down, arrest me, I'm done, i am taking a stand. So in New Jersey, I happen to know that uh, there, were, there was a gym that did that, they got a lot of publicity, national news, they rallied a lot of support, it actually backfired on them to try to shut them down, et cetera. So, mm. so, so the the officials decide to get a little clever. They said, "All right, you know what? We don't want to actually make this guy a martyr, you know, because it's mm. our, our cause. But we're gonna." Yeah. Uh, they sent in somebody with a very popular social media following, etc., who went in there, you know, was appalled that they weren't wearing masks, and then. Mm-hmm. Blasted out all over the social media about this particular coffee shop. You shouldn't go there. You, you et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So they tried mm-hmm. to take him down just through social pressure. Mm-hmm. Next morning, he wakes up to open up the coffee shop. He's got a line three blocks long. People are around the corner. A guy mm-hmm. walks up and puts a $50 bill on the counter and says, I don't even drink coffee. Just give me $50 worth of anything. I just wanna support you. Thank you for taking the stand that you're taking. So Mm -hmm. what's my point? My point isn't whether you should wear a mask or not because people doing the other stand also attract larger crowds. It is, Mm -hmm. but it's the fact of taking a stand on your Mm -hmm. values, having conviction that will, not possibly, it will alienate people. It's a necessary Mm -hmm. aspect of it but also people know who you are, they know your brand now because the stand that you've taken and you're gonna attract to you those enthusiastic evangelists that come into your life, that come into your business because of the stand that you're willing to take. So, and I wanna be really clear. I'm not saying, hey, just go pick a stand because you think it might be popular. I'm talking about you have to find your values, (laughs) figure out what you stand for in your life and when you're willing to take that stand, you're gonna find that it's gonna attract to you things and resources and and business that that otherwise were never coming to you before.
1: I love that, Patrick. Thank you so much for the examples, brother. So how do we go about finding that in your experience? How how do we connect to our values? How do we connect to, because what I'm hearing is just like, just double down on the integrity behind everything you're showing up for right? Build your identity around your integrity, allow what you're creating to inform that, enforce that, that's your stand, right? But how, for those that are tuning in, it's like, okay, I'm inspired, but how do I really come home to finding out what my true values are? My, you know, my true purposes and you know, what, yeah, how do we, thank
3: that? you for using the word double down or the phrase double. down. <laughs> um, and I'll explain in case this is directly related to what, what you just asked a friend of mine, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, uh five six years ago um is in a very compromised financial position mm. and smart enough to say i need to, i need some uh advice i need some guidance so he, i need help yeah i need yeah. help and he was willing to reach out and he reached out to me and i'll because look we're looking on a zoom call just like this and uh it was probably skype back then but he said um uh explaining what's going on he's really in a bad position and he said you know i've got this opportunity in uh, Dallas, he lived. He lived in Utah, he said, but in Dallas, where they could do this and this, and I can do this. And you know, I don't know that I agree with you know this, what service that they're offering and the way that they're billing for it and so on. He said, but I, I can, you know, I can come in there and I can impact that business through uh, resources that I have as far as audience, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, this is what they can offer me, and I can make this kind of money. And, and I I looked at him and I just said, you're taking. I know you're in a compromised position, but now you're looking for opportunity and you're taking opportunity over values. So we talk, spoke about earlier. I said, mm. If you're asking me for advice or guidance here, here's what I'm going to tell you. Double down on purpose. Mm. You're in a, you're in a tough position. You're in a, you're, you're in a compromised position. It's, it's awkward. You're, you're not meeting your obligations. And now you're almost, you feel like you gotta go out there and hunt and kill whatever you can, whether you like it or not, you know, and and I'm saying that's gonna be a mistake, double down on purpose. And he reminds me now because at this point, all his dad's paid off, his in, personal income is well over $2 million a year, and he mm-hmm. said, you know, I had a, a, a wise friend tell me some years ago to double down on purpose, and I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, if I imagine if I actually did that deal in Dallas, uh, you know, I, I, I actually I, I shudder to think if what would happen if I did that. So thank you for that mm-hmm. advice. So what's my point? And the point isn't that I'm so smart. It's just that it is important to know your values. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why this question is so important how do you find your values? Um, so there's multiple values exercises. You know, I have one in my book. Um, you can go, if you just search them, you know, value, core value exercises, you'll see different ways people do it. But mm-hmm. in essence, the way that you, and, and incidentally, this is the first thing I do for any business that I start, or I, I've come in to help friends who have businesses when they want to get something going. And the first thing I do is I, I do this sort of intensive immersion process, bring in the key stakeholders and say, let's figure out what our values are. And incidentally, every single time I do that, they always have a a set of values they start with. Mm. And I've done this dozens of times. Never once has that set of values survived the process.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Meaning- with the shiny objects back, come on, What what I told me is these values
3: are all bullshit. Right. It sounds <laughs> yeah. And I said, you sound like beauty pageant, you know, uh, contestants. So yeah, it sounds good, you know, you're putting a smile, but it's fake. It's not, this isn't, you know, so let's mm. really get into what your values are. So, mm. so the long answer to your question is um, a, a, a fast way to do this is that you can normally find, and again, you can search this on that, but get a sheet of, you know, values, right? Mm. And there might be, um, you know, 50 to 100 different values on a sheet. And just start out saying, okay, go through the sheet and circle the ones that you believe express your personal values the most. And usually you're going to have at least 20 people, you know, and of course, honesty, integrity, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff all, you know, traditionally matters and should matter for good reason to most people. But then there's these other values that can be a little bit more different, interesting that help define you, that help differentiate you. And you can get in and figure out what those are. Like uh, a company I'm just working with right now, uh, you know, it's not their number one core value, but it's their number two core value is beauty. And I'm not talking about they're not a company in aesthetics or in makeup or anything like that. I'm talking about this is a company in personal development that provides services to people to help them transform. But mm-hmm. beauty is a core value for them. And there's, it's a, the sense of beauty is different than, you know, like I said, just, you know, superficial aesthetic beauty. But it sort of makes you go, hmm, that's interesting. Why? Because they see beauty in transformation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, a chiropractor I worked with once who I was beating over the head because he was just stuck. He could not, he was so mechanical in the way that he was trying to identify the values. You know, what are you here for? You know, well, health and wellness and, you know, because uh, I want to pull out a value and say, what, what becomes your catalyzing statement? What's that short statement that catalyzes people you your employees and your the people that you serve they understood that this it's 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 different than a statement of purpose in in the catalyzing statement and this this person said and rick sapi was the guy who came up with that there's a ted talk he did or TEDx talk he did on that if you want to get more on that and he said uh and rick and i you know, had businesses together and he's a phenomenal entrepreneur so anyway uh what this guy finally came to realize is that because he wanted a family proud why is it important to have families come in to take care of families together et etc and he had kind of window dressing around it but then suddenly he identified beauty as a value and how because i said you know i'm not getting you i'm not finding your miles davis and there's a wall there mm. and i said what's that on the table he said my journal like your personal journal. Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> and I pick up mm. his journal. He gave it to me and I'm going through and I'm looking and he's writing. It's, it's all like art and beauty. And so none of this, because he, mm. he said, Oh, in business, I have to have a different mm. frame of reference mindset. And I'm like, no, this is this, these are your values. They have to be brought into your business. You know, cause you provide the service. Anyway, what he finally landed on for a catalyzing statement, which, because he could say, you're in an elevator with him. Oh, what mm. do you do for a living? Um, oh, I'm a family chiropractor. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Now he came up with this statement, which literally, once he finally said it, he started crying. And, as then, and I got goosebumps. I said, okay, now I know we got it.
1: Mm. And his
3: statement is, when I asked what, what do you do, his, state, his response was, I restored the beauty in families deep breath. Ah, oh. now imagine you're in an elevator and you happen to see the guy and say, what do you do? Go. I restored the beauty in families. Oh, how do you do that? Then you can explain. See it's so beauty wouldn't be, you know, an obvious one for a lot of people and it might not be the right one for a lot of people, but it is for some people. It is for the people who, you know, have what I call the beauty premise in life. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, uh, so the, the process is uh, you might have a set of values already started with, you know, that you, most people do if they're entrepreneurs, but now go back and examine them with a fresh set of eyes and literally just look at each of them and say, is this bullshit? Or have somebody who knows you look at them and say, are any of these inconsistent with the way that you know or understand my business or me? And then mm. secondly, start to, you know, now start to crap and say, if you could only have three of them, which would they be? In other words, maybe you got 10, but let's let's get rid of the ones that aren't, Absolutely, positively essential. And then Mm -hmm. start to creatively say, now, if you were to um, reimagine your business, let's say we're going to burn it all down. Give me that sheet of paper. We're lighting a match to it. We're burning it all down. I want to start over now. Okay, we looked at those Mm -hmm. and got it. Now we're diving into flames. How can something more beautifully merge like the Phoenix out of of these flames that we're going to build here? and start to have conversations around these values. What do you mean by integrity? Not integrity, but what do you mean by integrity? What do you mean by honesty? What do you mean by truth? What do you mean by whatever the value is? I wanted you to write a little bit of an essay around each one of those. And then you start to say, wow, the ones that you can write really eloquently to, those are probably the right ones. And the ones that you're struggling Mm -hmm. to try to write about, those probably aren't very good ones for you. So mm-hmm. you go through this. It, it, when I used to do these weekends, we, you know, we'd call them mountaintop masterminds, come in for an immersion. I'd work with these companies. Um, what would happen is literally we did this work, which was the brand identity work which is values, hmm. purpose, etc. And then we did a war room and, you know, that was a whole SWOT analysis and all this other more practical stuff. But I had to do this first because I can't do the war room without knowing who you are first. Without the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I tell you, people didn't want a plan of action, you know, in their business. And I say, no, it has to start with a plan of being.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't
3: know what action you should take until, you know, you have to know who to be. That's the subtitle of my book is how deciding who to be, not what to do can transform your business. And that's mm-hmm. what everybody misses. They want to. What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? It's not the doing becomes very obvious once you understand the being. Mm-hmm. But if you don't mm-hmm. understand the being, then you're chasing opportunity. and You're not values based, and you know it goes mm. off the rails. So, and we'd have to spend over half the time on this or more. And then the the war room part got fast because we understood this stuff. So mm-hmm. so there's there's multiple ways to approach values, but what I could tell you is on on the the fun on, on a typical basis most people who have a set of values that um they're probably going to go away if you take this ex- exercise seriously and mm-hmm. having values is the most important thing you can do for a business
1: amen <laughs> i want to um i want to drop in around there there is a, a link to a training on youtube that i coach people through their um their values as well and like you said uh like for because Amrit purpose coaching is pretty much what I do and it is the first thing we go into as well. Yeah. Um, and it's just fundamental. And just to give you an idea, one of the things I think I'm hearing here is my values are connection contribution and celebration and now it runs in everything I do in this podcast I've gotten to connect to you I'm contributing hopefully to so many people that everyone that's tuning in right you get a contribution from this hopefully is helping you richer uh, live a richer life and hence celebration you're able to celebrate life that little bit harder i love it um and i also know you embody as-
3: those so you're 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 dead on you embody all all three of those values clearly so you're you're spot on you found your miles davis
1: <laughs> touch wood. It was a bit of a process, but yeah, like I said, there's a process as a training to that. I'll link that to the show notes for those that want to tune in for values as well. Um, yeah. I, I love the, I love the values exercise. One of the things that you just mentioned in there that I want to again, go deeper into is uh, knowing that my values are connection, contribution and celebration. When I first founded the inspired evolution, the the values that I went for were health purpose and wisdom. Mm. Right, Because I was like, when you're healthy, you're on purpose. And that was the kind of messaging behind it. And I realized, actually, that's the messaging behind it. Absolutely. But if I get really real about it, and I've just been kind of coming home to this in the last 12 months, and I think this conversation is cementing it for me, is actually the values of the inspired evolution are connection contribution and celebration as well. (laughs) Thank thank you for making my point. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for giving me that level of clarity and permission to really, because I've been feeling that for a while and I've literally just gone, I think that's really what's going to happen. I've been suggesting that, you know, for more and more people it's like create businesses in alignment to your own personal values. If you are the founder and the CEO, right? If you're an entrepreneur, find what parts of your values line up to the organization's values. And, you know, it's not all of them will always click, but whatever ones do, you know, they're your blessings in disguise. I think they're the ones that um, you, yeah, you can, you can run with. So one of the questions I've got in there is also for those tuning in, it's like, okay, there's, I've got my values and potentially, you know, there are opportunities where, you know, we described this before the moral versus the practical and, you know, the advice is to, hey, like, honor your values, please honor your values mm-hmm. in there. Does that take some level of reimagination? Probably, you know, we've heard about the Phoenix and the fire and, but there is some level of persistence required. Is there, a, is there a call to persistence in there as well, Pat?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I make a distinction. I, yeah, I teach a philosophy formula class. I have this group and I, so I come up with the philosophy of something every month and, mm. um, uh, one, one module was the, the philosophy of um, contradiction versus paradox. Mm. They're not the same thing, although they might look like the same thing sometimes, uh, you know, because contradictions are are literally things that self negate um, and they're important to identify because if you do, um, if you do solve them, you evolve. And that's what, you know, paradoxes and contradictions have in common. Paradoxes are things that you integrate because, you know, in other words, it seems like they're kind of, they seem contradictory, but if you can figure out how to bring them together, you evolve also. So it's another doorway to mm-hmm. evolution. So, um, so what's, what's interesting is uh, that persistence, uh, to me, is a little bit paradoxical. And and, and I say that because um, I used to say, you know, I used to always quote that thing, You know, uh, persistence uh, and determination alone are omnipotent. Right, and uh, that way, you know, you're, you're persisting, and, and you have that endurance to persist. Mm. And um, now I have a premise, and the premise is persistence is a virtue until it isn't. Mm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. having having uh, taken businesses and driven them persistently, persistently, persistently for a period of time. The, a lot of times the pers- there's a persistence and then there's a breakthrough and mm-hmm. wow, okay, we, we persisted and we got there. And mm-hmm. Then other times there's persistence, persistence, there's persistent and there's bleeding and there's, you know, there's all this um, havoc that, that's, that's wreaked. And, and the consequence of which is that suddenly you, you, you end up in, a, in an exhaustive failure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so now, of course, what's about you know? How do you know when persistence is no longer virtue? And that's called um, nobody knows. But you, you mastery in my mind is when you start to be able to identify those things um,
1: subtleties. Yeah, yeah. it,
3: it was well, just knowing when to do what. You know, I, like for example, I, I guess what kind of goes maybe along with this is one of the things um, that I, I teach is the make let paradox. And I, I say that sometimes in life, you have to make things happen.
1: Mm.
3: Sometimes in life, you have to let things happen. Mm. And the master of life knows when to do which. Mm-hmm. And that's the mm-hmm. whole thing: saying, hmm, do I make this? Do I keep persisting here? Or should I just kind of let this happen now? And and when I was younger, I was all about making it happen no matter what. And that was the persistence and the drive, etc. I'm older now. I'm a, I'm a little wiser now. I... I, I have mm-hmm. different mantras and prayers in my life about how I want to live it. My, my number one core value for myself in my early life was significance. And that meant mm-hmm. that I had to be working on significant things like that had to be at extraordinary levels, you know, and if I wasn't doing something significant to have massive impact and to change the world, I was never. So no matter how much I accomplished, I was never really feeling fulfilled because there's always more significant things to do. That was, that was, that was hazardous for me in many respects. And Mm -hmm. as I went through transitions and and maturations in my life, I started, I I replaced, and a lot of this was mindfulness practice, but I replaced significance with fulfillment. Now I just want to personally be fulfilled. I want to be able to look at that dew on a Mm -hmm. blade of grass after my meditation in the morning and cry because it's so beautiful, even if Mm -hmm. it's not significant and the irony is that once I adopted, I changed that core value, and it shows how changing values can really impact things. I literally, mm. consciously adopted fulfillment as my number one core value from significance. My success grew so startlingly fast, as far as reaching levels I never did before. Um, mm. That more significant things started to happen. So it, you know, it, 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 it's very very strange. So so I guess you know I'm saying this because. I I believe persistence is a necessary virtue. And I also believe that there's stages of life and career that require persistence in, in very um, uh, significant ways. However, Mm -hmm. I do believe that, that as you evolve in your life and you know, you talk about inspired evolution is the name of this thing. And, and that Mm -hmm. the whole concept of evolution is that when you've learned the lessons of persistence, I believe that persistence becomes less necessary.
1: Mm. Mm. I love that. The make let paradox. It's like control and surrender. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, man. I really appreciate that. One of the things that I will not let you go without talking about (laughs) is you made a quick statement in your Ted talk about um, the fact that, what makes us different to animals? Like, obviously there's a lot, but um, or potentially not that much. I don't know. We are animals at the end of the day. Um, But one of the interesting thing that makes us different is that we get to choose our purpose. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, I had that moment where, you know, like, I felt like I was the six strings of a guitar and he went ring and I was just like, ah, so, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that, man? Yeah. Like, I don't even know if a question in there. I just want to revel in it. So. <laughs> I love your question.
3: I love your question. Um, yeah. yeah. The um, yeah, that statement in that talk, I said, it would, it could, acknowledging that we are animals, but what makes us different than other forms of animal on the mm. planet is the fact that we can choose a purpose. A, a dog cannot choose a purpose for its life. If it could, it probably would not be living with you.
1: Uh, <laughs> I choose not to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard you say that when I was I like, Pretty sure she loves me." <laughs> but I get I got I, great way to make a point. I got it. <laughs> of
3: course, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. Uh, and you know, you know, a cow choose a purpose for its life, or could there be no such thing as McDonald's, right? So, so yeah. the idea is that what makes us unique as human beings is that we have this capacity for abstract conceptualization. We can think mm-hmm. about our lives. We can think about our ancestors that came before us. We can think about a vision of the future that doesn't even exist right now that we can play mm-hmm. a role in creating. All this, what it boils down to is that we can choose a purpose. That's what makes, makes us unique. However, the vast, vast majority of human beings have not chosen the purpose for, us, for the life. They live in survival mode. So you know, our, our many self-help gurus promulgate um, a, uh, a philosophy of, of psychology or human motivation that uh, is like very popular behaviors in the turn of, you know, of the 19th century into 20th century. And basically their um, their premise was that mankind lives in the seeking of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. So this is the so-called pain pleasure principle. So they, they basically tried to describe human nature in the context of seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And when they give examples like, you know, you would do this because you wanted to avoid pain. You did this because you were seeking pleasure so that your life is almost you're this automaton that is seeking pleasure, avoiding pain, and that's the motive forces of your life. And then Mm -hmm. that got translated into the self-development, you know, uh, success uh, oriented movement and people get up, you know, and talk and promulgate pain, pain pleasure principle. And I heard it and there was a logic to it, but intuitively I said, there's something dehumanizing about that as a premise, and I, and I went to work thinking about it. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, where does purpose fit into that? Mm. Because if you have a compass setting that says, I'm moving in this direction, call it your true north, and I'm going in that direction, um, in that journey, I'm gonna experience pain, but I'm gonna continue, if I have a purpose, I'm still going through the pain because I wanna go in that direction. And then as I'm continuing, there's going to be pleasure along the way too. Pain and pleasure will always come on an alternating basis in everybody's life. So the only constant companion in my mind should be purpose. Purpose is always there. Sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's pleasure, but your constant companion is purpose. So I believe that in order to have a fully human experience, you have to be purpose-driven you have to have a constant sense of purpose in your life know that purpose and move in the direction of that purpose and that's what will prevent you from chasing blinky shiny things and going off track and avoiding pain and seeking pleasure animals a dog lives pain pleasure you know any animal lives pain pleasure they're seeking pleasure avoiding pain they're living in what's called survival mode mm-hmm. and the majority of human beings are also living in survival mode. And it's my conclusion on it is that if you're not purpose driven, you're living a subhuman experience. You're not actually having the human experience. You're having an experience that's relegated to other species of animals.
1: Okay. So as the purpose coach, I'm going to take that extract and and make that the trailer to everything that I do. (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. Cause ultimately like, and I, and I, what I'm hearing in there also is, and this has been true from my own experience in life and where the whole journey around purpose came from for me was, you know, the fact that the, the pleasure that comes from being on your purpose, mm. you know, you talked about fulfillment is it's very different to a happiness. You know, it's, it's this nourishing inner kind of joy that you get and it's not easy right? In the, in the normal sense of the word, but there's a joy in there. Mm. And one of the most amazing things I personally find as well is there are so many challenges when you're walking out on your purpose. And you can associate that to pain, but you find yourself rolling up your sleeves and going, mm. yeah, let's let's get in there. Let's have a look at that. And let's really work on it. And it's like, wow, I'm really going into my pain or I'm really, you know, what's, and it's like, oh, my purpose is driving me there. And it's like, wow, the grace with which I get to navigate this thanks to purpose is just, yeah, It's I dedicated my life to it basically. (laughs) Talking about dedicating your life, brother, what is your purpose?
3: (laughs) To enliven humanity.
1: Mm. I love that. I love that. Man, there is so much more that I would love to talk to you about. I want to honor the time and the podcast here today. I want to give you... My deepest heartfelt thanks for your time and energy for being here, man. And also, I know it's not just today that we get to talk about all of this. It's a lifetime's work that you've put into yourself, into this conversation, the way you're showing up in the world, the books you've written, the films you've made, the work you've done on others. Brother, thank you so much for being here today.
3: Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to be with you, and even though we're virtual, you you have such uh, an extraordinary expressive uh, ability that I feel like I'm in the room with you right now. It's, it's amazing.
1: Oh, touch wood. Thank you. Thank you to those tuning in inspired evolution tribe community. Love you guys so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I know you got so much out of it as always, whatever's ripe and pressing for you. Leave us a comment below. That's me directing literally myself talking back to you in the comment section below. And on behalf of myself, and the Inspired Evolution tribe. Everybody tuning in, Pat, wishing you all the best on your journey, brother. Thank
3: you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey, guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul, and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve.